Hello, and welcome to the Real Word Podcast. October 5th, Donald Pleasant Spotlight. Hello everyone, welcome back for October 5th. I, uh, so, initially, this was supposed to be the start of a sub-series for the month called Weird Wednesdays, where basically, I just did a sort of, uh, speed round through a bunch of movies that I thought were notable, or at least recommending, um, but just, you know, couldn't devote, like, a full episode to them. But then I decided against that because I realized October 5th was the birthday of someone who's a bit of a legend for horror fans, Donald Pleasance, a late great British actor. Uh, a lot of people might recognize him from his role as Dr. Sam Loomis in Halloween. Or if you're more of an action fan, you might recognize him as the role of Blofeld from the uh, James Bond series, specifically You Only Live Twice. But, you know, Pleasance has had a very, very long storied career in TV and film in general, so I'm basically just going to give him a little biographical information, and then we're going to get into four movies that I really like that uh, feature him prominently. They're not necessarily going to be in order of how much I like them, but these four are ones that I really enjoyed personally, and just think are good movies anyway. So, yeah, I'm just going to get into his bio information before. So, he was born in Nottinghamshire in England in uh, 1919, obviously October 5th. He worked as a railway clerk in South Yorkshire for a while, took up with a theatre company in 1939. Uh, during the outbreak of the war, he actually refused enlistment at first. Uh, he was a conscientious objector, but he changed his mind about a year later after uh, seeing the bombing raids in London and just how just how devastating they could be. Uh, so he enlisted in the Royal Air Force and he worked as a wireless radio operator for a bomber squadron and flew about 60 raids before his plane was shot down. And kind of impressive to me was that he managed to convince the Germans to uh, let him produce and perform plays for his fellow BOWs while he was imprisoned as a sort of way to keep, you know, spirits up. Uh, yeah, and basically, after he was discharged, he basically went back to doing theater stuff, and he actually continued it uh, well into the 90s until he wasn't until he was too, you know, frail or sick or however you want to phrase it to continue on doing that. He was a common guest star in a lot of television series for a while. Uh, you know, uh, Dr. Loomis and Halloween, you know, the priest and Prince of Darkness, they're both good guys, but, you know, if you've seen Pleasance, you understand why he'd make a good villain, or at least a character that's, like, fanatical or insane. Like, he played a murderer on Columbo, he was Prince John on the old ITV Robin Hood series, he had a bunch of roles in Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits. But he did also play some, you know, villains that were kind of sympathetic. He was a sort of, you know, the token good guy on the German side for Night of the Generals or The Great Escape. 
So, you know, even even when he was playing a villain, people still recognized they had a fair amount of leeway they could do with that. Because he has a very... You know, you've seen him... If you've seen, like, Halloween or uh, Prince of Darkness, for example, he's got that very distinctive voice. He's got a very... Uh, you know, he's got a very unique way of articulating himself. So, all that out of the way, we're just going to go into these four movies now. They're not going to be super long descriptions, but I just want to give you some idea of what they're like. Um, I don't know if you can watch all of these for free anywhere as I'm writing this, but... Um, I will let you know when and where they are, so. So first up, we've got a movie called The Flesh and the Fiends, where Pleasance plays the, the killer William Hare of the Burke and Hare murders, alongside uh, Hammer Studios veteran Peter Cushing playing the physician Robert Knox. It's a campy little horror picture from... 60s UK. It's definitely got that feel. Um, so, I guess a little bit of background, because this is at least semi-historical. Uh, William Burke and William Hare were a couple of guys living in Edinburgh, in Scotland, during... Excuse me. Over about ten months in... Uh, 1828 in Edinburgh, Scotland. And, you know, the background of the time was that uh, Scottish law was like a lot of other places that corpses used for medical research should only come from either people who had died in prison, uh, people who were executed for crimes, or suicide victims. Uh, stuff, although... You know, if you want to get a little grim, foundlings and orphans who died were also were also fair game. But this created a bit of a shortage for cadavers for medical purposes. So it led to an increase in body snatching by what were known as either night doctors or resurrection men. And it was... And it led to some people just straight up putting like an iron cage over their gravesite so that they couldn't be disturbed which just made things worse from the perspective of the people who need cadavers for medical research. And the reason these two got into it is that uh, Hare had a person who was, he was a lodger in his house, died. And he turned to his friend, you know, Burke, and they decided to just take the body and sell it to a leading physician in the time, Robert Knox. The problem is that with the amount of the problem is that the amount of money they got uh, about seven pounds ten about seven pounds ten, which was a pretty big sum for the time, and you know that motivated them to kill this woman who had a fever, who was also another one of the lodgers. And they were worried that it would, you know, dissuade people from staying in the house. So they kill her, and then they killed about 14 other people, apparently. 
the I say apparently because there's one that was like I don't think it was ever fully fully proven to be one of the victims, but you know uh, Hare eventually turned state's evidence, Burke was executed, and kind of funnily enough, I think now if you go to Edinburgh Medical School, their anatomical museum has his uh, skeleton on display. It was a sort of fun little irony. But, yeah, so that's the... That's the background for this movie. And interestingly enough, a couple of years later, there was the so-called Anatomy Act of 1832. And basically it made it a little easier to get your hands on cadavers for, you know, research purposes, because a lot of people did argue that the, well, the well-intentioned laws that were there at the time uh, really did nothing but give these guys, you know, a motivation to actually kill people to get their hands on these bodies. So, basically the two components were that if a body was not claimed after 48 hours, it was, you know, permitted for dissection, and it also meant that if you were, you know, put to death for a capital offense, you were no longer automatically uh, deemed good for dissection. So, you know, there was the... It, it's just such a morbid thing because it's the kind of thing that has gotten turned into black comedy. Um, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg have their own movie called Burke and Hare about this. But, you know, and this one does have a fair amount of sense of humor, but it is a bit more straight-faced as a horror movie. And it also does get into the unfortunate thing that when this whole thing went public, Robert Knox, his career really suffered because of just association with it, being a sort of unwitting accomplice in, you know, disposing of evidence. But... Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a very dated movie, it's 60s, it's in black and white, the audio's a little fuzzy, there's not a lot of on-screen, like, blood and violence, but, you know, it still does manage to be really creepy conceptually. So, uh, definitely check it out. I think you can watch it on Shudder, at least as the, at least the North American version as I'm recording this. It's still up. So... If you get a chance and you have a subscription, just go give that a watch. So next up we've got Eye of the Devil, directed by J. Lee Thompson, who is also famous for directing, I think, a couple of the Planets of the Apes sequels. He directed The Guns of Navarone. Uh, he directed a few movies with Charles Bronson near the end of Bronson's career. And it also stars uh, David Nevin, who, you know... I'm going to be honest, I only know him because he was one of the James Bond actors. Uh, Sharon Tate, rest her soul, David Hemmings, who was also a 
big star of Italian giallo films. Eye of the Devil basically follows a man who has inherited a dilapidated little vineyard estate in Bordeaux, down the French countryside. And what follows is a bizarre series of events as his wife, uh, played by Deborah Kerr, she thinks that there's something weird going on with the local area, and she keeps trying to get some information, and either the locals or her husband repeatedly shut her out. And at the heart of this, I won't go very far into it, but there's this sort of nebulous conspiracy headed by Father Dominic, who's a rather sinister local priest, and yes, he's the one played by Donald Pleasance. Uh... There's not much I can really say about the movie without spoiling it, but it's indicative of what I would argue is a sort of 60s variation of gothic horror. It feels to me like an old universal horror film, but using some of the more experimental methods in filmmaking that were brought on by some better-received exploitation films by French New Wave. There's a lot of uh, sort of dream sequence, or at least semi-dream sequence with the way the film show, eh, with the way the shot is presented. Uh, you know, you get that hazy sort of halo effect. There's a lot of uh, weird editing and jump cuts to sort of disorient you. There's a lot of dissolves to help convey that there's something supernatural going on, or at least maybe there is. Uh, so yeah, if you're open to a sort of, I don't know, the best way I can describe it is that it's kind of a mix of like a haunted house story and sort of a cult horror movie. Not like a cult film, but you know, a horror film involving cults is what I mean. Uh, this one I couldn't find for free anywhere, but if you have Voodoo or Prime Video, it should be able to available for rent for about $3. So... That's another one I do recommend. I, I recommend all of these. All the ones I'm going to be talking about here, or else I wouldn't be talking about them. But, you know. Uh, so, yeah. You know where to find this if you want to go take a look. So, next up, we've got Phenomena by Dario Argento. Um, this is one of uh, Argento's sort of you know, post-Suspiria and Inferno movies, we primarily follow as our main character, Jen Corvino, played by Jennifer Connelly. Uh, in the context of the movie, she's a, a famous actor who's just been enrolled in a girls' academy in Switzerland. And, you know, as happens with a lot of Jalo movies, she accidentally witnesses a murder. And... And this is where I thought was kind of the coolest part of this, at least for uh, storytelling. Is that you get the standard, you know, Jala set pieces where she's being harassed by the killer who's trying to, like, you know, poke and prod to see how much she's going to, how much of a problem she's going to be. How much does she actually know? But she ends up learning that she has a sort of, like, telepathic connection to, like, insects. Like, there's this really memorable scene where a bunch of the other girls are taunting her, and she's, like, getting a headache, or at least looking like it, and she just summons, like, this giant 
it's just swarm to come in from the woods and just sort of like blot out the windows. And it, she doesn't really do anything as I remember, but it does get them to shut up pretty quick. And it's, yeah, it's just a weird little movie from a sort of stage in Argento's career where he made what were essentially classical, like, Jala movies, but with supernatural elements. And, and I mean, for the Animal Trilogy, uh, you know, Four Flies on Grey Velvet gets solved with something that's basically pseudoscience. Uh, Deep Red has a psychic connection, but those all kind of take a back seat. And they're basically just really, like, stylized police procedurals with the way they're presented. But this one has stuff that's explicitly supernatural in it, is basically what I was getting at. So, you know, Pleasance's character here, uh, his role is kind of small. But it's still a really fun performance. He's playing a, you know, kindly forensic entomologist living in the area named John McGregor. Uh, he's wheelchair-bound, so he relies on this trained chimpanzee named Inga to help him around. Eventually, uh, Jen leaves the school and comes across him, and he's the one that guides her into coming to terms with her power and helps to identify a particular form of larva that helps her track down the killer. I mean, like I said, it's... It's not a big role, but for such a small role, it's a wonderful performance. As for the movie itself, I should mention that if there's any uh, if there's any negative aspect of it, is that while every scene in the movie is kind of fun, the overall plot is like really threadbare. There's very little to connect. There's no connect. There's not a lot of connective tissue from scene to scene. Let's just put it that way. As I said, though, it's at least for me. Like, Jolly managed to at least make that feel intentional. It creates a sort of dreamlike atmosphere. It's kind of disorienting, and I think even with the mystery, it helps with the rewatch value. It gets some bonus points for me for originality. Uh, for those of you that appreciate sort of like older retro video games, there's a Japanese game designer, Hifumi eh, Kono, who made this game called Clock Tower, and he cites this movie as an influence for that game. So it's, yeah, it's definitely worth a watch if you like Argento, if you like Pleasance, if you like Jennifer Connelly, you know, whatever, whatever motivates you to take the look at this movie, it's definitely worth a watch. As for where you can go to watch it, I am looking that up right now. Um, it says premium subscription for Plex. I know it's sorry. It's free on Plex with ads, but it has a premium subscription on Prime Video. So I'm assuming you have to download some kind of extension for that one, but it should be available to rent either way. And finally, we have a movie called Deathline, also known as Raw Meat, as one of the alternate titles. It's a nice little bit of 70s bird horror. I actually. I heard of this movie originally when I watched Jake's West Video Nasties documentary. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Video Nasties just refers to a bunch of movies that were banned briefly in the UK during the 80s. Uh, this wasn't one of them. 
but the director, Gary Sherman, also made one of the video nasties uh, called Dead and Buried. So, you know, I heard about this one from that, and I decided to check it out, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, Pleasance's role in this is fairly small as well, but it's still fairly memorable. He plays this kind of, like, tea-swilling, uh, fairly eccentric policeman, and he's helming the investigation of a man who disappeared in the London Underground. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, like, fun little quirks to it. There's a brief scene where he's talking to, uh, the detective. I forget his name, but he's played by Christopher Lee. It's kind of funny, they don't actually share the screen because... Well, during the scene they're in together, they're not actually on screen, just because Christopher Lee was so much taller than than Donald Pleasance. Uh, but they're basically butting heads over jurisdiction. The actual movie doesn't really follow him as much. It follows a pair of college students as they're investigating the disappearance. Um... Yeah, I'm going to just say spoilers for anyone who watched the movie. Who hasn't watched the movie, I mean, sorry. Uh, come back in like two minutes, just because there's not much else I can say about this movie without spoiling it. Um, so, the reason it's called Deathline, but also sometimes called Raw Meat is the actual horror aspect here. The reason people have been going missing in this station is because there's a bunch of abandoned tunnels that date back to the, like, old Victorian era that there was famously a cave-in that we hear from uh, one of the guys that comes in to talk to the detective. And apparently what happened was that there was a cave-in and the company went bankrupt, so they couldn't afford to pay for the rescue. But a lot of miners um, believe that at least some of the others were still alive. As it turns out, there were. Um, you know, some of them had their families down there with them, so they were able to keep having kids. But they survived by eating, I would presume, some of the rats that came down there. Some stray animals, but mostly they resorted to cannibalism. And, you know, that's the reason this James Manfred guy, that's the name of the man that disappeared near the beginning of the movie, that was his name, that's the reason James Manfred went missing. And, yeah, the guy, yeah, the main, like, killer in the movie is just absolutely deranged. He's basically what you'd imagine a human gone completely feral looks like. Um, it's played very, very well for a character that's basically got no personality other than just being a lunatic and hungry. But, yeah, Deathline is, like, really, really creepy. Uh, just on a conceptual level and for some of the horror moments, especially given how naturalistic the lighting is in most of the scenes that aren't taking place down in the train areas. But, yeah, it's got, it's definitely got that 70s British feel where 
it's fairly mundane when it's like surface level stuff in terms of lighting and camera work, but it, there's a lot more like fluid camera work, a lot more stylization when it's supposed to be, you know, the actual like scary moments. And like with all the other movies on here, Pleasance for this short time he's in the movie is actually a really great performance, especially listening to him just like yell at the yell at the office assistants because they're making their tea because they're making tea but they they're using bags and there's a bunch of scenes where he's like trying to have the tea and he's just like stabbing the bag to get it out so yeah that's some four uh i guess lesser known movies you could call them that feature donald pleasance um uh, figured i'd get this out just to celebrate them at the man's birthday um you know God rest the man's soul, because he's a really big horror icon. At least as far as I'm concerned. I know most people probably only know him in horror from... Um, you know, his role in Halloween. Maybe just his, you know, collaboration with John Carpenter in general. But I figured I'd highlight some of the lesser-known movies here. Anyway, that's going to be it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow with a episode on silent film so i hope you all join me for that anyway have a good night and i hope you have a great halloween when we get around to it